Uh, that was, I have to say, as a school librarian, that was my favorite day of the year. I would walk into the kindergarten room on the first snow and it would be like, it would be like quiet reading time or rest time. I'd be like, it's snowing outside. And the death stares from the teacher would just be amazing. And I'd leave and the chaos would ensue. it off. Um, good morning, everyone. Thanks for being here with us. Um, I'm Sarah Miller from Westside, and with me here today is my coworker, John Pedersen. Can I call you my coworker? John Pedersen. He's my boss and my coworker and my friend. Um, and Sarah Lipke, who is the Director of Educational Technology at CISA 10 and also one of our beloved Westside board members. So thanks for being with us here today, Sarah. Yeah, um, thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks for forgiving me for not um, giving you a <laughs> good heads up on what we're going to be asking you today. <clears throat> so with less than an hour of preparation, can you tell us a bit about what you do? Sure. Um, so I've been at CISA 10 now for seven years. Um, prior to that, I was a school library media specialist for about a dozen years in a small school district in um, North, northern Wisconsin. Um, so at CISA 10, I am currently the director of educational technology. And our team um, has a few different projects that we support, uh, one of which is the E-Rate Support and Planning, where we um, work with districts to file um, and submit their E-Rate funding, as well as other state uh, funding opportunities that are available to them. Um, it uh, is kind of uh, like being an accountant, um, you know, that it, it's exciting to me or it's fun for me, but everybody else is like, Ugh, I don't want to touch that at all. So it's the job I do and I, and I like it. Um, we also have an internal uh, library media center, which um, circulates library instructional resources, curricular resources to our school districts. Um, a lot of high cost, low use items. So it might be something that you'd use for six weeks or a couple of weeks in a classroom. And we've also added a lot of online resources to that service of late, um, had been doing that prior to March, um, and then also funneled a few more um, dollars to that in March, knowing that we were likely gonna need them for spring and into this year. So basically being able to kind of, um, you know, the power of purchasing so that we're, we're buying those resources and sharing them with the smaller districts that probably couldn't afford them otherwise. And then um, the biggest kind of part of our service area and that encompasses the most people is our distance learning um, and video services. We have four separate um, distance learning networks that have a history that uh, date back um, almost to when I was in high school, back to the, the late 90s-ish, mid 90s. Um, and a lot of history with that of sharing high school to high school classes, as well as higher ed, technical college classes um, for those students in, you know, Northwest to Central Wisconsin. Um, and that has evolved in, it's gone beyond just the classes. And now we also do some um, video service so that teachers can create flipped learning. Um, they can record classes, record content, and then embedding that content into uh, a virtual platform, whether it's Google Classroom or Canvas, or the LMS of choice for that district to kind of have that anywhere, anytime learning. 
Um, we were doing a lot of that work uh, prior to, to March. And then, and then the phone started ringing for the districts. They were like, oh, so, you know, you, you helped us with this. And can you kind of come back and give us a refresher? And, and how are we doing that? Um, we did in the spring uh, employ some um, Azure uh, servers. And so that we didn't, we were, we were a little fearful if something went viral that it would take us down. Um, and I think I'm going to get the number wrong, but it, there, at one point we had like terabytes of views and um, like a single time. And we kind of, it was back to some graduation streaming that districts were doing. So then to get to the, the kind of non-educational part is with the ensemble video service we have, we also can live stream. So of late doing a lot of um, board meetings as well as athletic events now that um, teams are playing, but attendance obviously is limited. So trying to help districts doing that and um, keep the community involved with the school. My first, first question for you, and I'm gonna preface it with talking about Dane County first, but I wanna ask what does school look like today in the CESA 10 region, the Chippewa Valley region? And, I, and I'll kind of preface it again, like I said, with Dane County, we're at a spot right now. We started the school year. Um, mostly, most of the schools online, if not all of them, all online. Uh, at the very beginning of September, Dane County Public Health, you know, they had about six months to work with this data and see what was happening. And they set a threshold of less than K2 could come back with less than 54 new cases a day averaged over the last two weeks. Um, so they were saying, you know, they, 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 they put together some guidance that came out like right as school started saying, you know, 54 is our magic number for K2. Um, we also have this interesting UW-Madison here. So a bunch of college students come into town and that number went up within two and a half weeks to about 180. Um, it is since UW has got their stuff down and under control and everybody's understanding that and Dane County has come back down off of, off of that major peak as well. Uh, we got to about 115. Um, and it seems just in the last couple of days that that number is kind of turning back up again. Um, so we, we here in Dane County are very far away from that 54 in order to get K2 back in. They're letting them in, stay in, because there was some concern about you know, whether, whether these numbers were jacked because of UW, but uh, we've got a long way to go in terms of getting that down. Uh, we're a population in Dane County of about 480,000 people. Um, so that, that's kind of where we're at. I'm curious, because I hear individual things, but is there a general, general setup for the Chippewa Valley region? General is are they all doing it different or are they all doing the same or what? Right. So just like Dane County, our counties are having some um, guidance for districts. And, and I actually reside in Barron County. Um, I do know Eau Claire County has uh, provided, I think, some of the most strict or rigid guidance as far as um, what schools can and cannot do. I believe that the schools in that county are um, all the ones that are using a, a cohort model or an on and off 
um, you know, whether it's Monday, Tuesday, nobody Wednesday, Thursday, Friday um, type of format. Um, almost, I, I believe every school in the region is offering some type of online, whether it's a standalone um, platform program that the kids are enrolled in and that's what they're doing, or they are working to um, bring the students into the classroom um, and be able to connect, or maybe they have a section of uh, second grade for online students. So there, I think for the, um, you know, there's 29 schools in CISA 10, and let's, let's say there's probably 25 different ways that things are working when you get down to all the nuances. Um, the schools in like our county are five full days a week in person. Um, and it's now, I think just kind of uh, how many kids and teachers are available in any given, given school to attend um, on a daily basis because of the, the role in quarantines and stuff like that from exposure. We're starting to get to the point now too. We, we I see, you know, different elementary schools or, you know, a certain part of a school goes, goes closed. Mm -hmm. The other part in Dane County here is I think a lot of schools are hoping that, you know, after the first quarter, so they were kind of saying, we'll come back the second quarter. But just, I think it was just recently this last weekend or late last week, Madison School District put that number back out at the end of the semester. So, you know, they were like, we're going to, we're going to target the end of January to return. Um, yeah. Well, and that um, at the PAC meeting, it's a, an advisory meeting of all the, the administrators and school administrators last month or the beginning of this month, October. Um, that was kind of a, a conversation that was had of uh, like, do we race through? Do we try and get in as many days as we can before it, you know, gets bad? Or are you under such fatigue at the moment that you need to start building in some days off for, for teachers just to catch their breath? Um, because they're trying to, you know, educate kids across three different platforms, whether they're entirely online, they're here in person, or they're in and out because of quarantine and or illness. Um, it's been a little concerning up here with some of the uh, availability of testing from my own personal experience um, that, you know, you can probably get in in a day or two, but then results are two to four days out or longer. And so that, that limbo of waiting, um, if, if your child would have symptoms, you can get them tested the day, the next day, then you're waiting two or three days. You've just taken them out of school for a week and the results may take them out for two more weeks. Um, so that I think is from a parent perspective, and then a management from a school perspective of just <laughs> difficult, beyond difficult. Indeed. Uh, what is it? What is the, how, how is, how is CISA, the CISA 10 office, you know, how is that situation? Where are you guys from um, a work perspective? Uh, it's a skeleton crew at the office. Um, there are portions of uh, departments that are more fully staffed. Um, some of our software support. Um, just for resources and um, some continuity across the delivery that they are in the building. Uh, those of us that um, have the ability to and can really function, you know, I, I on a typical day would spend um, more time in the car working and out and about and uh, pulling up my laptop connected to my hotspot on my phone uh, along Highway 29 somewhere. Um, so if we can work outside of the office, you know, from home, 
just to reduce the population. That's what we're doing. And we're not hosting any meetings or conferences. So, um, you know, the office is definitely a, a little um, bare at the moment. I was going to ask you how the transition from life in your car to life <laughs> in your home. I know you well, practically live in your car. I'm still sitting on a pillow. So that is um, very similar. Uh, it's, it's, you know, in March when we all kind of like, uh, I think I came home from brainstorm and I was like, gosh, this seems like it's getting real fast. And I went out like the next week to school and two of the, um, I think four schools I stopped at that day had been some of the first, um, like a, a Olympiad, science Olympiad team had been at events where a COVID positive person was then um, there. And so it got real fast in, in my world of this is here and this is, you know. And so I kind of uh, said, you know what, I can do as well from afar and I'm not gonna benefit anybody if I would transmit it from one place to the next. Um, and so kind of transitioned just as everything was um, ramping up and schools were closing. And then, then of course, I welcomed three more coworkers to my home office. And that's when, you know, we had to make some rules. <laughs> yeah, share with me because my rules are seem to be porous and nobody respects them. <laughs> yeah, you know, I, I'd like to tell you it gets better as they get older. It doesn't. How to give us the parent perspective. Now, I, I, I can speak as a parent, but my kids are like, a little bit too i've got one that's in college right now at uw madison which means she's in her bedroom and the other is a, a sophomore so and they've just been kind of mellow and chill and stuff like that how about you um last spring was it was a bit challenging in that one was very occupied and um, my daughter's class she's in middle school and they were doing meets and they were doing different work and so she, I mean, you'd walk by her and, and of course she's a little type A personality, not sure where she gets that from, but she had like her board with her daily assignments and like color coded file folders. And I mean, she was just happy as could be. It was almost like she was playing school, but living it for real, right? Um, and then the um, sullen high school freshman <clears throat> sold me on, he might as well be able to play um, PlayStation until whenever he wanted to, because that was the only social interaction he could have with his friends. And quite honestly, as long as he didn't bother me, I was like, eh, well, I'm sure we can reverse this over the summer. Did it happen? <laughs> nope. Well, you know, I, I would say the positive of uh, we had very few cases in our region over the summer. So summer was really pretty normal. And now it's getting real up here, unfortunately. And I think that's hard for people because we did live most of summer carefree and footloose. Yeah, I wish. Um, yeah, I, I remember distinctly, you know, we used to have like all of the, the kids' computers and daddy's computer and all that other stuff down in our in our basement and we had this great setup and then at one point I was like, Okay, so it's March and I'm gonna be working from home for a little while. So you guys I, I we're making the exception you can take the Xboxes to your rooms. I don't think I've seen the kids since, you know, no. um, but it, they just, it, it's, it, it was like, oh, I thought I'm going to regret this. Um, and yeah, I mean, they have, 
they have pretty much holed up there and um, keeping themselves busy. But on a good part, it is nice that they are able to interact online and socialize online. They're getting some of it through school. Um, But yeah, it's been, it's been a tough one. I think both of them started the school year pretty well, but then, uh, and they're still doing well. It's just, it's, it's going to be a long haul and they're starting to understand that too. So. Yeah, yeah, I would agree. And and that's, I think, um, for like from a a parent is that things did start out pretty normal, but they're not going to end normal. Um, I think we have nine more, nine more days after this week in my son's first quarter. And I know that uh, the administration has already prepped the school board that things might not look the same as second quarter rolls on. Um, and and so, yes, just as the snow flies, I'm afraid we're going to have to have some changes around here. So today is Tuesday, March 233rd. What needs our attention going forward right now? Um. You know, I think that uh, the idea of with and this kind of uh, just what we were talking about is it can't be perfect. It's going to have to just run with what you've got and um, pick up the pieces maybe as you go or uh, circle back and, and grab whoever or whatever didn't come along the first time. But you can't you can't wait for everything to like fall into place and to have this, you know, epic, glorious, educational moment, life moment, whatever in today's, you know, life um, in 2020. Um, And I think that's kind of changed my philosophy. And it's just like, okay, I I get it. Not everybody's maybe ready to move ahead with X, but I have got three that are. And so we need to keep them moving because we can't wait for everybody else to catch up and keep going. What was your big news, Sarah? Yeah, so, um, and, and this is kind of, uh, it, it's the um, continuation of 2020. So probably <laughs> about this time last year in 2019, we, we had heard rumbling that there were going to be another round of um, USDA distance learning and telemedicine grants. And um, we, we knew we had some needs in our distance learning program. Um, you know, we work with about 45 school districts across the northwest central-ish region. Um, and so we're like, well, should we apply for it? We also heard rumors that um, the maximum grant award would be a million dollars and that the cash match for the projects would be far less. Um, historically, it had been around 51% of a catch, cash match. Um, and we were hearing that it was likely going to be around 15%. Um, so uh, my colleague, Jamie Kampf, who's our um, operations manager for our distance learning networks, you know, we're obviously going back and forth with like, well, we got to do something, you know, we're serving these schools, we need to future proof and, and keep things moving forward. Like I said, we can't, uh, you know, wait for everybody. Um, and there were some obviously changes in the last Badgernet contract that dropped um, managed video service for schools, um, something that we had been relying heavily upon. Um, and so we made some changes with that and, and knew that the, the solution we were working with wasn't going to last forever. So we started working on things and writing things, consulted with, um, you know, the USDA field rep, um, 
heard some disheartening news that says, um, thou shall not use a grant writer uh, that is hired by or provided by one of the vendors. So previously we'd used like a polycom um, grant writer for the process. And um, so that was a little daunting to know that we were gonna write this whole thing if, if this was gonna go. So we kept working, kept working um, on the Good Friday. So in about mid-April, 2020, uh, on a, uh, Jamie and I were putting the last, uh, you know, digital signatures on the application and sent it off about um, 1.30 in the afternoon and about 2, 2 p.m. my power went out <laughs> and I was like, oh my gosh, can you imagine if that would have happened like a half an hour previously? So, okay, we got it off and then we waited, right, as we continued to fight fires and do battles and try and keep everybody moving forward with their COVID, you know, contingency plans. And then um, about mid-August, you know, we kind of heard rumblings that maybe uh, things were going to be released. And we did find out um, about mid-August that we were going to be getting an award, but we couldn't tell anybody yet. And that happened about three times. Um, finally, about a week and a half ago, uh, actually, I think two weeks ago, we were actually given the green light to go ahead and share the news that the 10 um, distance learning project was awarded a million dollar USDA distance learning telemedicine um, grant. Hey, now you've got a million dollars. What are you going to do? <laughs> Unfortunately, we've already made the plans on how we're going to spend a million dollars, and it's a lot of work to spend a million dollars. Um, uh, so uh, the the main kind of the main pieces of the expenditure are going to be to replace some of the um, physical bridging infrastructure that we had implemented when the BadgerNet contract um, uh, dropped. Managed video. Um, exactly what that's going to look like. We are meeting with a lot of vendors, a lot of engineers. Um, we have some good ideas, just trying to make sure that we, again, can, you know, be uh, prudent in our million dollar expenditure, as well as make sure that we can sustain it. Um, so that's one good portion of it. And then the other portion is um, to replace as well as add additional endpoints out in district locations. Um, so I was looking back and we have uh, history since 1998 of USDA DLT grant awards at CISA 10. And that um, has historically provided infrastructure at site locations. Now I can't say that any of the original 1998 equipment is still out there in, in um, production, but you know how schools are. And so there's gonna be some rip and replace of some equipment probably from the early like 2012 or so that will finally be going away, 2013. Last serious question. They're all serious questions, but my mom is calling me. I'm trying to pause button <laughs> Come on, mom. Um, I already told my mom that I had a very important meeting from 10 to 11 and she couldn't call me. <sighs> Anyway, um, what's something you've learned in the last eight months that you'll take forward post-pandemic? Gosh, that's, I can think <laughs> of something I've learned. Um, that you can grocery shop every two weeks 
and survive. <laughs> wow, Didn't with, think with that was possible, but it is. Um, you feel a bit that I was kind of, I was last spring, it made me laugh. I felt like the pioneer going to town for the provisions for the, the two week period <laughs> and come home and the car would be like squatting because it was that full. Um, you know, I think the other piece of that it's been a good and bad learn maybe of um, the humanness of all this. And the idea that, you know, people are resilient and we can throw a lot at them and they, they, can, they can usually handle it. Um, but everybody has their own way of coping, feeling, and, and just because you may or may not feel or react a certain way, doesn't mean that somebody else might not or have a different reaction. And I think that the civility of that needs to maybe always come to the forefront in any conversation and decision that we make. I think the resiliency piece is really key and something that I have when, when I have conversations with people, you know, mostly other parents as we lament and have been complaining for months and months and months about the the offerings offered to our children, um, which I eventually just got so tired of, I opted out, but that's beside the point. Um, yeah, it's a really hard time. And yeah, our kids are going through just tremendous transition as are all of us as parents and adults. Um, but I think we're overlooking the other lessons to be found, which is that you know, there, there is a lot of, like, they're learning a lot of lessons about resiliency and about perseverance and, you know, we can do hard things. And that, that feels really glib and kind of cliche to say out loud, but I like saying it out loud because it reminds me that it's real. You know, it might, it might sound a little cheesy, but it's real. Um, I certainly, if you had asked me a year ago, how would you survive a global pandemic? I would have said not well. <laughs> um, yeah, John's laughing because he knows how not well. Um, and I'm not saying every day has been great or that I'm like yeah. thriving, but certainly I've I've been able to live up to my own ideals about myself and in, in a difficult time far more than I would have thought ahead of time. And I and I see that in my kids too. I was just thinking to myself yesterday, like they put on their masks so willingly and readily, like they ride in the car with their masks on. And I'm in the rear view mirror, like, you guys know you can take those off, right? And they're like, yeah, we like them. And I'm like, okay, <laughs> you do you, because they've just, they've just adapted. And my kids are little, I mean, they're four and six, but they've just adapted so well. It's like one day we said, we mm -hmm. all have to wear masks everywhere we go. And they're just like, okay, this is what we do now. Whereas, you know, my husband and I are like, oh, we're going to do this. Of course we're going to do it. But but we're not going to like it and it's going to be hard and I have to wear my mask more than 20 minutes. I have to go somewhere and like take a break just to get it off my face. And my kids are just, they're just chugging along like, hey, this is life now, you know? Agree entirely. And, and not, not that I wanted this, but when you kind of reflect back on previous generations, I feel like the generation prior to me had their cross the bear or whatever you want to say of, of like a world catastrophe whether it was like Vietnam World War II those those major pieces that they lived through that that made them and helped define them and I was I remember probably when my kids were about your age your kids age Sarah of like 
goodness gracious, if this was the Holocaust, there's no way my kids can survive behind the wall like Anne Frank. I mean, they can't possibly be quiet for more than 30 seconds and, you know, they would just implode. And not comparing this to that same world tragedy. However, we have, we've, we've you know, we've thrived almost. I'll, I'll give it almost. Um, and and I, I, don't, <laughs> I, I don't want it to define, but you do want it to strengthen and, um, you know, it, it becomes a part of, of who they will be and, and they'll, they'll have the stories to tell. Um, and, and I think remembering that is going to be important. I agree. I think it's going to take a long time. I mean, years and years, if not decades to, to see like the fruit, you know, Mm -hmm. the fruit that comes out of this I tell John all the time about my grandma she's 99 and she lived through the depression she lived through world war ii and I'm just like constantly calling her to say like how did you survive like give me some pro tips because I need to know that that we can endure and it's funny like she gets in my car in the summer and when my air conditioning doesn't immediately make the car comfortable and I'm saying oh I'm sorry grandma I'm like I'm going as fast as I can and she just turns to me and she's like I didn't ever have air conditioning you know like this is like roll down the windows <laughs> it's fine you know and, and I think that 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 her life experiences have made her um, not only like a super optimistic person, but also really grateful just for the most basic things. And I never thought that I really liked taking my kids to swimming lessons on Sundays. But let me tell you, the minute we're able to go back to swimming lessons, I'm going to look at it in a totally new light. And it's kind of mm -hmm. the same perspective taking. Well, and, and also the kind of cherishing the time. Like I look at, we had from mid-March until um, July-ish, because that's when uh, some things kind of transitioned and my kids started going back to sports and, and stuff like that. But we were together 24-7. And who has yeah. gotten to spend that much time with their teenagers? Um, and, and just some of the crazy stuff we did as a family, you know, it's just like, you, you enjoy it. And, and, and that's, I agree, it's going to take time. But I, I know it's going to be pieces that I will have as a mom to have enjoyed. Now, there's some other pieces I could be like, <laughs> you can go. Sure. <laughs> um, but, you know, and I think even from a professional standpoint or from a, a work standpoint, let's think about what can go and what we can cherish and really focus on and um, move forward with to make us better all around. I think that that the point about work is huge. Like we we've had, not we collectively, all of us as Wisnet, because we haven't been together, you know, all together in one room since March. Um, even though we have staff meetings, we're just not all there at the same time. But I mean, I I think that behind the scenes we've had a lot of interesting conversations. Certainly, John and I just alone have had a lot of conversations about like kind kind of that question that we that we just asked you. What are you going to take forward? You know, like what are what are the what are the parts of this that have really worked and that we want to keep going when this is you know quote unquote over or you know what are the well, definitely what are the things about being in the office that we never stopped long enough to say is this is this really even serving us anymore? Mm -hmm. um, both John and I have gone through like a tremendous um, <laughs> what do I need as an employee to continue during doing my work 
not only well, but Mm -hmm. in a way that's sustainable and supportive of like my mental and emotional health, which is, you know, teetering basically during, during this time. Um, John's kind of struggled with his office setup at home. Like I would get on zoom with him every day and he'd be in a different spot in his house, like every day. (laughs) Um, but you know, our outsides tend to influence our insides and, and there are definitely things about the office that I don't miss. And there are things about the office that I miss dearly every day. And it's, it's been really interesting to see some of those things that are surprising to me. Mm -hmm. John, I know you want to ask about farming. Yeah, I'm, yeah. yeah. No, but I, 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 there are so many good spots in there that I wanted to, to to bridge the resilience to the farming and that kind of stuff. But I, I, I thought better and just listened to you guys. That was really good. Um, I can I just yeah. iterate one one piece of um, you know with that grant announcement. Uh, sure. Just that the stuff and the purchases are great. Um, but we will through the through the grant activities. Um, we have three goals, and and I think I'm as excited about the stuff as you are about the activities. I I, I don't want to think that we're just blowing a million dollars on nothing, right? <laughs> um, that you know. So the three goals are first to um, continue and grow the the high school educational program, and so we're pretty excited about a couple different um, offerings that we have with. Um, like uh, one example is a UW Oshkosh CAP program that will be able to offer a um, college level biology class to some regional students. And then they're planning um, when, it, when they can Saturday labs to be able to have that classroom and lab portion. Um, so that's, that's one example of the goal. Uh, the second goal is to focus on teacher development. And the part of that is that, you know, we just, we can't retain teachers. There's not enough like there is anywhere in the country, Um, but the ability to hopefully educate from within. So we are pretty excited that UW River Falls is going to be offering some of their um, entry intro teaching courses on our distance learning network. So as a high school junior or senior, you can take that. You can do some of the observation and classroom work in your district. And then you would have probably six or eight credits going in as a freshman already in the College of Education. So it's things like that. And even that particular piece, we also um, offered last year some uh, CDL training because to grow bus drivers, to train bus drivers from within um, and and have those people be able to just go to the distance learning equipment at the end of the day or during the day and, and get the training they need rather than making it um, you know, unattainable or difficult for them to get that. And the last piece kind of, and this is what sparked me to talk about the, the last piece focuses on mental health. And so through the grant, we're gonna be able to buy equipment. And so far we've been able to um, partner with Provea, a provider up here to connect mental health counselors with the students to receive services during the school day in a designated space that's been approved for that. Um, and, and that grew out of a partnership from another state grant with a district who um, sadly had a suicide of a student. And then when they started evaluating mental health services, it was like a three month wait to get a, a person in for an appointment on top of likely a um, two hour drive for the 30 minute appointments. And when you have parents who are working or maybe have transportation limitations, 
it it was going unserved. And so it's it's though it's those goals of the grants um, that you know I wanted to make sure that it's more than just a million dollars. We're going to be able to do some real work. So so that's pretty exciting for us. I think it's going to be really interesting to see how that mental health thing plays out. Um, how how we see it, you know, yeah. put yourself next so, summer and looking back because we're we're already kind of seeing it, hearing it. I've got anecdotal mm-hmm. stuff, um, but this is going to be hard on on students, uh, most definitely. And um, how this all comes together, who knows? But it's going to be it's going to be an important part of. How we get back to post-pandemic world, right? Um, I guess here's the positive of the pandemic is that the um, billing for tele mental health services has pretty much um, allowed for any type of connection that is available, so that people can do a, like a Zoom connection. They, I know they have other secure platforms that they're using, um, and it's billable. Um, and that's been at least a, a positive. So that's a good example of, you know, maybe we're moving forward with some of the, the services that we can have. Things to well, take forward. I also think like just, you know, as time goes on um, and we have more and more advanced technology and, um, you know, better networks to, to support things like telemedicine, um, it gets better, you know, just, just by virtue of, of the way that the world is. But um having, I'm saying this carefully, if we're talking about the positives about being in a pandemic, I think that all of a sudden, all of our lives and all of our work having to move online has has put the urgency to make telemedicine a robust and actual service for people has been like pedal to the floor, right? I mean, like all of a sudden it's like, yeah, not we, we've known that we've needed this, especially to serve areas speaking of Wisconsin like you know the northern half of the state not that by any means that's the only place that needs telemedicine I don't mean that at all but just places where you do have to drive two hours to see your therapist I got the limited so much time on the road <laughs> right, right. Well, and, and the, the limited, limited practitioners, practitioners. Yeah. I, I think I think I think that in that instance that there's huge benefit here that all of you know that telemedicine is is all of a sudden become um much more of a top priority than it has been the past the past decade um I was eight years ago I'm thinking my husband and I both in 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 college down at um UW-Pavel we were both adult students and uh, my husband goes to the VA and he needed to access some VA services and didn't want to drive to Madison and the telehealth setup was just a disaster and that's not to dog on UW-Pavel or even the VA but just that's just what the technology was eight years ago and so now like you know, fast forward and I can show my kid's pediatrician a rash on the back of her knee using my iPhone. And I, like, every time I do something like that, I'm like, look at how far we've come, you know, and this mm-hmm. is, and that's only going to benefit, you know, the, the citizens of Wisconsin and this country all the more. Agreed. So John, I think has a farming question. But farming. Yeah, he's waiting, oh, he's waiting so patiently. <laughs> That was I. I wish I could put my finger on it. You know, I knew you for Sarah for a while, and then all of a sudden we got into the farm stories. Tell tell us about the farming side of you, and if there's a pandemic angle, great. If there's not, I don't care. Um, I just I'm, I'm fascinated with the things that people do outside of these uh, 
these professional lives that um that keep them going well i think one thing that was interesting you talk about staff meetings and and with that and our team of seven or so one um one thing that would come up uh early in like april may when we were all like hunkered down and did you find toilet paper where's it at that type of you know um (laughs) myself, you know, obviously with the farm, I would be like, well, I'm not really worried that there's no meat in the grocery store um, and and that type of thing. And one of my colleagues is very much a city dweller um, in, you know, the urban center of Eau Claire, but, you know, no um, like hunting background, no real like gathering, vegetable growing, anything like that. And she's like, we're just going to (laughs) die. We're just not going to make it. We're not going to be able to eat. I'm, you know, and, and so that has been at least reassuring. Um, it's also been a good diversion, um, as it always was. And it has been, uh, it's been kind of a stress relief for my husband um, to be able to go out and the cows don't judge, you know, you feed them, they're just happier than heck to, to see you. And uh, it, like I said, a good diversion. Now, sometimes it's a sweaty diversion and a stinky one, but a diversion nonetheless. My lifeline became Sarah Miller's, Sarah, Sarah's husband, Matt, and the fact that he could go get a pig and, you know, I almost got to slaughter a pig and it was still too early for me and the pandemic and all of that stuff. I can't, I can't freeze all of that stuff, but um, yeah, definitely started thinking about those types of things when we had enough toilet paper, but you know, it was like, what's going to happen here? Um, what is some of the, the, the food things? It was really weird. Um, but I definitely makes me want to go back and appreciate that slow down a little bit. Um, yeah, I, I always say each spring that I want to make a garden, a vegetable garden, and, and now there are no excuses next spring. So, so I, I, I know last week you guys were talking and the, um, CSAs came up as a conversation yeah. on your show and, and I teeter on that. Uh, so I, I have a garden and I, and I specialize in root and vine crops because those are all things that you can plant and then not tend at all. And you still get things at the end. Um, but I'm a, a kind of also a big proponent of the farmer's market because it's just, it's a lot of work. <laughs> Indeed. Indeed it is. And I, I hope that that kind of, Hoping to get involved again next year in the CSAs and things like that, and that they're able to, to, to pull through on this one. Um, so yeah, that's all we have today. Um, I want to thank you for coming out. I think we just lost Sarah for whatever reason. Um, she froze and then she had to leave. So. She froze and then she had to leave. So, um, I'll close her out just by saying thank you. Um, stick stick in there uh we'll come back to you in a little while um in the midwinter and check in and see how things are going um and thanks for being here thanks for having me bye-bye